welcome to... Oh, God, I didn't even do one. You didn't come up with a... This is... Oh, this is a bad omen. See, <laughs> we've done things in a strange order. Welcome um, to this week's Jess Hasn't Done an Intro edition of Spin Cycle, I guess. Oh, we had so much material this week <laughs> yeah. well. uh, We have a good reason. We have a good reason. I could reason. have done a great Dan Andrews one. Anyway, welcome to <laughs> this week's mm, edition of Spin Cycle, the media show that tries to make sense of the chaos that is our 24-hour news cycle, broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, lands for which sovereignty has never been ceded. Whatever the outcome... On October 14, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. I'm Jess Lilly and joined in the studio as ever by Crikey reporter Charlie Lewis and contributing editor to the monthly Rachel Withers. G'day, guys. Hi, Jess. Good evening. Uh, we, I feel like we've already been on a journey. You've been to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> really necessary after another one of these weeks. <laughs> I'm on my second cup of tea. <laughs> it's uh, the fall of Rome. <laughs> the last days of Rome. <laughs> uh, we're going to be chatting with The Age investigative journalist Nick McKenzie about his incredible report in collaboration with 60 Minutes, um, which is uh, a true, truly jaw-dropping and tea-spilling exercise into the behind-the-scenes activities of senior Canberra public servant Michael um, Pizzullo. Uh, and later in the show, we're going to be chatting about the very different responses to two, two resignations of this week of uh, men in powerful places internationally, of course. Rupert Murdoch um, has finally stepped down in theory. Uh, and here in Victoria, our very own COVID daddy, <laughs> Dan Andrews, has taken his leave. We're going to go into more detail later, but um, the scenes around Ozpol uh, social media have been incredibly unhinged. Just <laughs> <laughs> a quick time to I, be I, on the internet. It's like we haven't recovered from COVID. We think we have. No one recovered from lockdown. <laughs> Rachel, what have some, some of the standout moments for you been? I mean, any time um, we get into the, the Daniel Andrews territory, you get some of the most deranged people <laughs> on the internet telling you what they think. Um, and so, yeah, I, I sometimes just can't help myself doing a bit of a quote tweet on those people. Oh, I know. You're, <laughs> you're funny. You really, really managed to um, wind them up simply by repeating their words. Oh, it's there was one this week who, who said I was obsessed and it was like this guy who always comes and finds my tweets and retweets them and it's just no, it's a nobody. But I just, I retweeted like, you know, says the random man who obsessively <laughs> checks my tweets. <laughs> um, we will get into some of the um, some of some of the moments um, that made the media, but there was a particular um, um, Peter Credlin quote doing the rounds, which I absolutely loved um, for some balanced reporting. Um, under his watch, Mel oh, this is from Peter Credlin, and I quote about Dan Andrews. <clears throat> under his watch, Melburnians are subject to home invasions, violent assaults, carjackings and youth delinquency on a scale not far short of Johannesburg, but never previously experienced here. <laughs> you have to feel for Peter because the headline of that piece... Um, was no escaping Dan's brutal reign of madness. So it, in Peter's <laughs> mind, she's still stuck in Dan's brutal reign of madness. Yeah, we, well, we've all escaped in, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yes, no, and what a terrible world it is to live in from the sounds of things. Um, um, Charlie, has there been, I know we'll go into detail later, but has there been a standout moment for you this week? Oh, yeah, I mean, I suppose that, you know, there's, 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 uh, You've accused me of being ABC about this, but if there, there there are two sides, I guess, to the the kind of slightly, oh no, I mean um, it's Dan stands. Dan stands are, are, are straight are, are oddballs. I remember, and actually, this is what I realised when I after I told this story before we went on air was that I didn't actually even mention Dan Andrews in this. I I tweeted uh, a piece that I'd done, basically saying probably for the first time in the history of my my career as a published writer, Scott Morrison is absolutely right. If you do an inquiry into the management of COVID and you avoid looking at the states, it's a meaningless exercise mm. and it's clearly got some kind of political dam uh, dimension to it. So that doesn't actually mention Dan Andrews, but by implication it says he might have done something that wasn't perfect in the nine years he had in power. And someone was like, you know what they need to look into? The media for attacking <laughs> Dan so much and his life-saving um, lockdowns. That's why, I'm, yeah, so like, yeah. that was uh, the kind of tenor of what happens if you imply, not that directly, that Dan Andrews hasn't always gotten everything right. Can yeah. I just say, 
thank God Twitter's about to die. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say uh, it's apparently in its death throes, but it's still infinitely entertaining, I, you know, in many ways. I, I think I've... I've blocked so many really bad um, bad actors on Twitter that I um I still I still find it vaguely entertaining. Although there's I'm sure that there is a little eye twitch every time I open it, so, <laughs> and I'm opening it a lot less than I used to. Triple R on FM, digital, online, on demand, podcasts, and via the app. Nick McKenzie is an age investigative journalist who has twice been named the Graham Perkin Australian Journalist of the Year, a winner of 14 Walkley Awards. He investigates politics, business, foreign affairs, human rights and criminal justice. He's had a bonkers couple of years with investigations that have gone to the heart of the fabric of our society with breaking stories on Nazi activity in Victoria, the biggest defamation trial in our history with Ben Robert Smith and now an incredibly jaw-dropping investigation into Michael Pizzullo, Secretary of the Department of Home Affairs which draws an enormous question mark over the assumed impartiality of senior public servants in Canberra. Welcome to Spin Cycle, Nick. Great to be with you guys. Uh, It's so great to have you. And this investigation um, centres around a really explosive leaked conversation between Michael Pizzullo and, and Liberal Party power broker Scott Briggs. First question, of course, is who spilt the tea? (laughs) No, no, joking. I know we can't ask you that. But um, for listeners, can you set the scene a little bit in terms of uh, who who these two people are and why this um, series of of leaked messages uh, and conversations matters so much? Sure. Well, Michael Buzzillo is one of the most powerful public servants in Canberra. Uh, Not well known by the general public, but uh, he's the guy who's been in charge of the department in charge of Australia's national security regime, overseeing uh, key agencies like the spy agency ASIO, uh, the federal police, Australian border force, until um, Labor recently slightly restructured that that, that uh, system. But uh, in charge of our national security, to put it to put it simply, and Liberal power broker Scott Briggs, uh, confidant to two Liberal prime ministers, Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison, an unelected. Person, so no, no official role in government. He's not a politician. He's a he's a power broker, a lobbyist, a businessman. And this story really centres around this question of and this issue. As a public servant, you must be apolitical. So Michael Buzzillo had no business, was not permitted to involve himself in politics. Yet what we revealed is that he was interacting with this liberal power broker behind the scenes, covertly over five years in encrypted chats using this liberal power broker to influence these two prime ministers, uh, Turnbull and Morrison. To roll ministers, they get rid of ministers who Bazillo did not like. Uh, to champion conservative right wingers, in Bazillo's own words, that he did like, that would that would see or enact his his vision of what policy should look like, national security policy. Uh, to champion his own career, uh, but being a hyper political in in you know, gross breach of the requirement of public servants to be apolitical. Uh, Nick, it's Charlie here. Thank you uh, so much for joining us and, and congratulations on the series and, you know, whatever else you've been up to this year. Um, I just wanted to ask, I mean, the really interesting thing that you mentioned there is, of course, his apparent preference for sort of more hard right-wing candidates and, and the policies that they were pursuing. But but uh, Pizzula has a really interesting and long history and, and of course, he, he started out at one point as a, as a Labour staffer. I'm interested in, in your view, do you think that this was ideological what he was doing or do you think there was an element that it was just in service to power in cultivating his own power yeah i mean a great question and really i, I don't want to give the coward's answer but only pizzullo knows the insight of his own mind from the messages if you were to read the messages as i did five years of messages encrypted messages so you think about now when you send a secret message on a on signal or whatsapp or another mm. channel you, know, you think that no one's ever going to read that it's probably a time where you're going to give a bit of a hint of your true self the messages really speak to Pizzullo's uh, inner nature um, as a as a right winger. That's his words. Mm. Someone who really champions conservative. So, for instance, he was pushing Scott Briggs to use Briggs's influence of the two prime ministers. Can we bring back Tony Abbott? You know, is he, can we can we resuscitate <laughs> the conservatives? Can we get more right wingers into power? Uh, that would suggest that Pizzullo himself is a conservative right wing liberal. But, you know, you speak around the Labor Party and they say, oh, no, he's a fellow traveller, he's a comrade. Uh, Bizzillo used to work for us back in the days of Kim Beasley. So, you know, is it, is it a Machiavellian man who really was happy to to lean into the power of the day to increase his own power? Um, well, whatever the case, 
uh, that's not what a public servant should be doing. They must be... I mean, Brazillo gave a speech himself a couple of years ago. He said, public servants, the law, the, the rules require us to be apolitical and independent, and therefore we must stay away from raw politics. And these messages showed him deeply involved in the rawest of politics. Mm. Um, Nick, it's Rachel here. Um, congratulations on this story. As someone who has to sort of... I cover the, the daily news and to wake up and that's the story of the day. Like you just completely um, dominated this week, really. Um, I have a three-parter question for you. I was wondering what was your first reaction when you came across this delicious tranche of messages? <laughs> um, do you have a favourite message that stands out to you? And do you ever wonder what he is saying about you in his messages right now? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, can I swear on your program? Yes, you can. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a few choice words you can use. I mean, seriously, when I read the messages, I, I was, uh, uh, you know, it was a, a what the F moment. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was uh, actually, you know, I was on a, on a plane ride. Um, so I was sort of trapped in my seat and I was reading these messages uh, on my computer one after the other. I mean, there's, you know, thousands of messages and just kept, like, I mean, I... I knew I knew Priscilla to be a character, and I knew a strong personality, and, and, and uh, you know, a, and a wily and aggressive operator. But to see him talking in such a political mm. Machiavellian way, it was a bit like inserting yourself into, into Game of Thrones mixed with House <laughs> of Cards. I was uh, thinking Glenn Close in Dangerous Liaisons, you know, when, <laughs> when the letters are read out. <laughs> Uh, favourite message, I think, I mean, one that captures really what this, what Pizzullo, uh is partly all about, and I think portrays his ambition was um, a message where he sent uh, to told Briggs, because you know, Briggs having the ear of these two prime ministers, these are these are the guys who can influence Pizzullo's career. And he said, maybe you can give me mm. defence and home affairs at the same time with a with a winky uh, emoji. <laughs> and, and the idea being, you know, you, you can appoint me as, as home affairs secretary. And defence secretary, you know, tongue in cheek, it was a joke, but it was really. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> well, that was like. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. It was, you know, it was, he was laughing at his own uh, avarice and, and, and ambition. And what's he saying about me? I'm sure he's. Um, you know, I'm sure he's. Uh, he's. Um, he is. Uh, you know, dropping dropping the c word with uh, with abandon. Uh, uh, but he's probably he's probably turned on disappearing messages. Uh, <laughs> You'd hope so. Yeah, there was one um, message um, that I thought was just wonderful, where he, um, you know, he says to Briggs, "Look, um, listen, I, I, it's not like I can't remember the exact wording, but it's like, oh, you know, I, I was never going to, I would never put myself forward for this, but you know what? If Morrison needs someone, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I could do it, but listen, it's not, you know, it's not something I would have ever put myself forward to. It just said, I'm mean, I, I deserved, but not, yeah, I mean, it was, it was." I mean, to be honest, there's something almost pathetic about the messages. Yeah, because yeah. They are, um, it was a real pick me. Yeah, then the real, like, the ambition uh, there. And I think mm. uh, it, it says something about about the ambition of, of um, these people who are in up very, very, um, in very powerful positions in Canberra. And, and, and ultimately, it's, it, it reminds us all on a serious note as to why the, the public service rules are in place. I mean, there's a reason why there's a very short code of conduct. It's easy for public servants to read. And it says, you know, thou must be apolitical, independent, and not act or use one's position to cause another a detriment or advance one's own position. You know, it's, it's a privilege to serve the public. Yeah, I mean, most of them they don't get paid much at all, and, and they are public servants because they believe in the role. This guy was on $900,000 a year. Like, he's, a, he's getting almost a million bucks a year, a huge amount of... Oh, he didn't need more power, a huge amount of power and influencing his role as it was, yet he wanted to play politics. And the simple, the simple matter is that if you want to play politics, run for office. And, and why, do, why does one say that? You know, the, the reason this is so concerning is if, if you issue power behind the scenes in a way where you don't face the ballot box. So, so a public servant like Brazil has no real, uh, some limited public-facing accountability. We, we can get rid of our politicians when they abuse their power. We vote them out. But... Because Pizzullo isn't a politician, we've got no power over him to vote him out if he does the wrong thing, abuses his power. And that's why public servants, especially such powerful ones like him, can't be political, can't be seeking this greater power in a covert fashion in a way that lacks all of accountability. Because that's, that's a massive betrayal of those that actually serve us, the public. Which does raise the, the next question, Nick, which is, does this, from what you know, strike you as... An aberration, or does it tell us something wider and maybe slightly more concerning about how power power works in this country? 
Well, we know from the RoboDebt Royal Commission there was a, a, a head of a department uh, who was in, in, in Catherine Capital who was uh, pursuing a political agenda for uh, the, the Morrison government, uh, collecting welfare debt in a way that was immoral and illegal and caused people to, to self-harm and, and, and commit suicide, an atrocious policy that was pursued because it's seemingly uh, the, the, the secretary and other public servants, a small number, thought that that's what they had to do to, to please the political masters of, of the day and, and, and pursue a, a political agenda. But we know, we know that public servants must give frank and fearless advice. And, and in circumstances where the political overrides their duty to the public, they should resign. Uh, so that, that scandal tells us, as does the Brazilian scandal, this is a wider problem. There are, you know, we know that there's been some hyper-political appointments. Uh, Philip Gaitchen's appointed mm. by Morrison uh, as, as the Secretary of, of Prime Minister and Cabinet, um, a, a hyper-political role that Labor, Labor sought to remove. Um, Pazola was a career public servant. He's worked for both uh, both governments. Uh, he's been a public servant his, his whole career. But it shows that once you accrue a lot of power as a public servant, you can start to, to champion one side, especially if they too have championed your career. And let's not forget that Operation Sovereign Borders, the, the operation to stop the boats arriving, the southern seekers arriving to Australia, under Tony Abbott, uh, Scott Morrison, that was Pazola's baby. And I think that's where he, he became far too close to the coalition. Mm. Uh, he aligned himself with not only uh, an operational thing in operation um, um, sovereign borders, but what was a hyper-political thing. And, and then it looks like, to some extent, he, he drank the cooler. Um, Nick, I was wondering, in terms of what's next, obviously there's an investigation going on. And um, I think, as you mentioned in, in yesterday's story, he's not expected to come back either way according to sources well, the trust must be fully oh broken yeah by i mean now. how could you come back from this but i mm. was wondering um based on what's in these messages do you think there needs to be a, a broader inquiry into home affairs or into into um you know the public service more broadly well, i mean yes to both uh, questions there is at the moment a number of inquiries that are either recently finished or are running at the moment into home affairs so we, we know that there's been significant issues with uh, the offshore processing system, uh, allegations that Home Affairs money was used to pay bribes by contractors to operate on, on Manus Island and in Nauru to keep asylum seekers in those locations and bribing local politicians. That's led to an inquiry by Dennis Richardson, former former spy chief. Uh, there's a Nixon inquiry into the Department of Home Affairs failures to keep organised crime and human traffickers out of Australia. Uh, so we know sex, traffic, sex traffickers have come to the nation and, and breached border controls to run sex trafficking wings here. It's another inquiry that, that has exposed uh, Home Affairs failures. And there's the Parkinson inquiry into the failure of, of the immigration system. Uh, again, that reflects pretty poorly on Home Affairs. Then, of course, there's these border questions about the politicisation, the public service, which, which I think needs further action. Uh, and, and the Australian Public Service Commission is looking at Brazil's own conduct at the moment. Mm. Now, it's an open question. I'm not, uh, I don't have much sense of how the Public Service Commissioner operates. I don't think most Australians do. But unless they you know, can can be seen to get to the bottom of this in a really open and accountable fashion, then we shouldn't have faith in, in that process. Uh, let's keep an open mind, but that's what the public should should deserve. You know, what was Bazillo truly up to? How bad was his conduct? Mm. And let's, let's make sure we can all read about it openly, transparently, yeah, and sometime in the near future. Nick, I know you do have a function to go to in a minute. I just um, quickly, I'm wondering, when you look at those, that five years worth of messages, and this is sort of between only two people, one... When you compare, say, policy decisions or um, decisions made by those two Prime Ministers and the Department at their time, did Pizzullo, do you think, have any influence uh, or were some of the things that he was saying have any direct influence on decisions that were made? And two, uh, what else, what other conversations we, was he having? Are you expecting <laughs> to find more? I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that it's probably not just conversations between him and Scott Briggs, mm. uh, the, the little power broker. You know, you don't just talk like that to one person. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, did he influence uh, Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison? Uh, uh, not sh short of self-confidence as, as leaders. <laughs> I'm sure they would both say that, that they would never be influenced by Bazzola whispering to Briggs, whispering to them. Yeah. We don't really, really know, but, I mean, we can... Home Affairs is a... It's, I know people don't really know what it is, 
for good reason. It's not you know in our lives. But Home Affairs is the most powerful national security department in the country. It sits across, it did sit across significant agencies wielding massive power, you know, phone tapping power, spying power, the, the deprivation of liberty, charging people, keeping cyber terrorism um, um, at bay, involving itself in counterterrorism. This is a Raiding journalists. Really Raiding journalists, yeah. And he built that empire. Mm. And he built that partly by convincing politicians to come along with him and put him at the helm. And we saw him doing that uh, in these private interactions. And it not, it's not the way that policy should be done in these back channels. It's, it's, it's against the public service rules and it lacks accountability. And, and that's so important when you do have these agencies wielding potentially huge power over all, all our civil liberties. So that's why it's, it's so concerning and, uh, and that's why you know, we published just quickly, one more. Sorry, very cheeky. I just remembered that he had some very choice words about the media, um, and in particular, some you know certain political reporters in Canberra. And y- you got the sense that he'd be very happy not to have any um, you know media scrutiny of in- of the of the department. What were your thoughts when you were reading his comments about about the media? Well, I guess he was uh, he he. <laughs> He was a hater to all stripes. He didn't like Barry <laughs> Cassidy. Uh, Barry Cassidy was sneering and arrogant or whatever he called him. But he didn't like Alan Jones either. Um, uh, so this is a man, I guess, ultimately tells us he didn't like scrutiny of where, where it came from. Uh, and I think you know, he was known for cultivating journalists and, and pushing his line. And at the same time, he was hypercritical of journalists who did things that, that were critical of, of him or his department. Um, and uh, you know, it's troubling that that was, uh, that was the case. And, and frankly, it's a good thing that that's been laid there because the next time a senior public servant uh, thinks or wants to act like that, perhaps they'll think twice. Mm. Yeah, well, for a man who doesn't like scrutiny, he sure attracted a lot of it this week. <laughs> Thanks to you, Nick. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for joining us um, this evening on Spin Cycle. Nick McKenzie, listeners can um, check out The Age for the uh, that series of reports. Another one dropped today just a couple of hours ago looking at Pizzullo's links to um, Big Tobacco and PwC. So I have no doubt there's more to come. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Nick. See ya. Triple! Ah! So there's an old line uh, from Ulysses saying, read your obituary notice, it'll make you live longer, it'll give you a second wind. And I think uh, (laughs) departing uh, Fox and News Corp chair uh, Rupert Murdoch might have some idea of whether that's true or not, um, because he's just been able to read the... uh, the, shall we say, generous coverage that one of his outlets would give him uh, upon his announcement that he was sort of standing down. And I think it's very important to realise he's still going to be something called emeritus chairman over the over News Corp and yeah, Fox Corp. If anyone thinks he's just going to um, sail off into retirement yeah. and um, take the gold watch and, and never be heard from again, I... <laughs> yeah, I to take the literal it. hundreds of millions and and uh, but um it's a, I mean it's funny cause, I mean, but it was a shock I suppose to that extent because that the he famously is a workaholic and there was a sense performed as much by him as anyone else that he would leave that place in a box like mm. he wasn't going to retire uh, but then even announcing that he was sort of quote unquote stepping down he's saying. I intend to be involved in the the robust debate around ideas in coming years, and I'll be there on on, on a Friday afternoon late at night. So I'll be I, on your shoulder, <laughs> Lachlan. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But um, give us a little flavour of some of the reporting of of his um, resignation or his stepping down or his semi retirement, because it it was pretty, it was unbelievably glowing, and I'm not sure what they could deliver if 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 he was to um any yeah, differently do, if he was to, to, if he was to die pass away, what, where do they have to well to i, go I from feel here? like some of these were just obituaries that they changed around a little bit and published <laughs> right i mean they, they probably had you know stories ready to go either way but they mm. read like obituaries mm. yeah 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 i mean and I it think, was wall to wall i mean the australian was pretty much a full edition Oh well, it was you know a, a big spread. I mean, mm. I think it's it's it still found found space for for its other concerns, but um, yeah, it was a very big. I mean, a huge part of their coverage, and obviously, it, it just dominated the weekend Australian. Um, I mean, I, I thought the the kind of the straight-ish news story of it, kind of reporting it, which um, was still under like a a, a lifelong a, a steadfast resolve for truth and freedom. I think was was <laughs> uh. roughly the headline, and it had. Um, a huge number of kind of, as you'd expect, a huge number of tributes from from various politicians. And it, it was quite funny to see the Labour figures kind of 
toy with what they should and shouldn't say <laughs> about a figure. complete full diplomacy. Yeah, and I think there. Are, I mean, the thing is, is that what you realise is that you can say a lot of things that are inarguably true about Rupert Murdoch that could be taken in a few different ways. <laughs> to call him, uh, you know, to say that he's had an extraordinary career has as a, a huge list of achievements and has changed the world is 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 no exaggeration and and what you mean by that is can be up to you i suppose yeah um but the so i mean the the, the sort of spread which is sort of filled with all these sort of smiling benevolent photos to the extent that, that those are possible of, of rupert um uh no, kind of no beach bod photos there no no uh <laughs> why you know those photos, when... <laughs> because you know how when there they was they all like whenever they announce a new girlfriend for whatever reason. Yeah, to show that he's she's, in like robust health. She's holding. They're ho- they're showing her holding his sort of bird-like body <laughs> as he exits the ocean. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's okay to body shame a ninety-two-year-old billionaire. I don't know. I don't know. I'm body shaming him. I, that is descriptive. Um, it is, you know, you're right. It is a constant pattern. Every new girlfriend is yeah. a beach shot. Uh, and they're always helping. They're always, you know, helping him as though yeah. they're. That's the way they're demonstrating uh, his reliance on them, or something. I don't or, know. Or, or I'm not his, sure or, what the psychology his, is. is. I think actually it might be the opposite that they're, they're trying to demonstrate. I think it's the um, the the ongoing vigor and um, robustness of health that he's he's showing in his in his sort of in his nineties that he can still he's still doing physical activities like that. That might be the way you describe it, Charlie. I, that might, I, I, I said that's the way that they might judgments. be trying to get you to <laughs> interpret it. Um, but so there was a lot of stuff about you know his his um, kind of audacious uh, and entrepreneurial acumen, his his business judgment, his kind of his innate understanding of, of journalism and news stories, the kind of stuff that you kind of expect. Um, a lot of people, you know, saying that he's Australia's greatest ever businessman and that kind of thing. Um, and they Australia's. could, they, 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 they round up. I mean, that's the thing is that he's sort of not ours anymore and hasn't been for quite a while. Yeah. That uh, whole thing of like, he started with this small town paper and, you know, became, turned it into the global empire. That yeah, was the yeah. one the thing that was trotted out a lot. For sure. For sure. And there is, there, again, There's there, some there truth is, to that there sure. is some truth to that. He, he inherited, I mean, he inherited a paper from his dad, but mm. like, but still, it's still. I mean, it is still an incredible, from not from not even one of the major Australian cities to then the kind of global dominance we've seen. Again, it, inarguably, that is an unbelievable achievement. Mm. Um, but the, uh, I mean, the one that really stood out to me. Well, the one, there was a, there was a few things. One, you you had to search quite a long way before you heard any phrases like phone hacking or um, Dominion or anything mm. like that. Any of the 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 demonstrably dreadful year that he has had, even by, you know, he's had a few really dreadful years. This is one, 2011 is another one. There was the phone hacking scandal in the UK. Um, there was a debt crisis in the early 90s and things. But, like, this has in, invariably been one of the kind of, some of the, one of the worst years he's probably had in public life. And that was very hard to find. And he mentioned that. Paul Kelly, to his credit, um, did mention that. Uh, Greg Sheridan was the one that really did, um, it, just, it just quivered. It quivered. <laughs> palpitated with um with with um with longing it was a uh, is it talks about his uh, I mean, and this is all direct quotes uh, his extraordinary ability to operate simultaneously in many different contexts not just different geographical ones but technological social and intellectual he said that murdoch is at ease intellectually at the highest level of political ideas but also in culture literature and social change <laughs> and he always seems to be reading several books uh, <laughs> But also then he says, you know, he talks about about three times he's hang, hung out with, with Murdoch and he says, uh, he notes his generosity in conversation. He's a man who's willing to share his own insights from the top of US, British and indeed Asian politics. But he's also intensely curious. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, but enough about me. Let's talk about you and what you think about me. Like it's... It's overwhelming. Um, I mean, yeah. you wonder if there was like a special prize for delivering the best <laughs> piece of hagiography. Well, I mean, so <laughs> over the top. That can't be serious. You know, with Lachlan taking over, of course, the, the, he likes to um, spend a fair part of his year working from Sydney where, you know, his family live. Um, maybe there is the sense that if you crawl far enough up, you might actually get closer to to Lachlan, which is now the you know the seat of power in in the in the Murdoch. I mean that that is the thing. It's it does have that. I mean, and I suppose it's sort of inevitable because he has, again, he has been this emblematic figure for good and for ill um, for his company for 
decades and decades and decades. It, it couldn't be any otherwise that there would be a cult of personality around someone mm. like Murdoch. And I think that's as true of his detractors as it is of his supporters. I think he is a, 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 he's a, a mythic figure to a lot of people on the left who think that he is, you know, singularly destructive and, and sort of an, an, an evil sort of force. Um, but the, so, so I actually was surprised that there was even any mention, say, of Dominion or anything like that. In you mean just coverage. within News Corp coverage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I also really like. I loved uh, Andrew Bolt's response uh, in the Herald Sun because he did this. He does a thing which I, uh, which I've noticed he does a lot, which is to pose the, the, the kind of the posing of the, as the fearless truth teller, and then kind of completely going against it. So he says. I can say what no other Murdoch journalist has. I'm glad Rupert Murdoch has made way for his son, Lachlan. I can say this because I'm, if I'm sacked tomorrow, I couldn't care less. And you're like, oh, okay, interesting. And then it's like basically he just says, because I'm glad it's Lachlan and not James, who's a left-winger and has no idea of that. You know, he's not a free thinker like Lachlan is. And he's not, he's not a, um, an anti-elitist like Lachlan is. And then he's like, by the way, I want to make clear, if... If I'm glad he's stepping aside, it's not because I've lost my admiration or affection for his genius. Oh, my God. You know, it was interesting and it was always going to be a moment to do the whole succession thing. Mm. Um, it was clearly Lachlan, you know, it, it's been Lachlan for a while. For a while but yeah. there was well, a couple so of other pieces. James Murdoch pieces. resigned from News Corp's board of directors in 2020. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like the, he's, and, and, you know, criticised the coverage of climate change and yeah. things like that. Yeah, he was, he was gone. He's but never getting back in the saddle. There was quite a lot of coverage um, sort of on the, probably because of the show Succession making it such a, a hot topic. But um, even like The Age had an opinion piece from uh, Jolene Brooks saying that, He's chosen the wrong son. Yeah, like it, it, this was not a sudden decision, but the pieces came out saying, "Oh, actually, James was the smart one." Um, and can I just add, I feel like I actually had something to do with Rupert Murdoch stepping down because I this actually, is, wow, I guys, actually you finished heard it, you heard it here Succession first. about three weeks ago. Oh. So now that that's now that I have finished, now that, now that he knows that you finished, <laughs> now that I finished. Um, I'm, I'm sure he does monitor your binge accounts. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there was a sort of a hope that 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 him stepping down might see a um, uh, some kind of crazy piranha-like infighting <laughs> <laughs> at Murdoch, but it does. We wanted that crazy board meeting. I'm desperate for it, but um, it does seem to have been a fairly smooth smooth uh, succession path, and and Lachlan wasted no time. Um, letting his own um, sort of a position be known with the um, uh, with the suggestion that Tony Abbott should be oh, appointed yes, yes, yes. to mm-hmm. the was it is it to the News Corp Fox board, Corporation Fox Corporation yeah. board yeah, yeah no. just in case you thought there was going to be any kind of leftward turn yeah no 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 oh no, no <laughs> we're, we're going the other way no, <laughs> yeah. we're going deeper right I mean that that that, that is a uh, yeah no that, that that that's a interesting point I mean um, my, my colleague Bernard wrote about this about how like. It's 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 it makes no sense until it makes perfect sense. He's got um, M- Abbott famously has no communications background. He has no interest in technology. Uh, he's got very little uh, private sector experience at all. He's basically lived, apart from a brief stint as a journalist, he's basically been either a staffer or a politician his entire professional life. Um, he knows how. He was to... almost a priest, wasn't he? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he knows. Yeah. He knows I, mean, to... I don't think like yeah. <laughs> he knows how to commit uh, some. Ad- to, to a ridiculous point of view in public, though. So well, yeah, and that's, that's, that's basically where it ends up. Is his his uh, he's in some ways a, a pioneering spirit of, of a pioneering political expression of what uh, of what News Corp has achieved in the media. Abbott has done politically in terms of weaponizing grievance of uh, of, of the mainstream. Um, and of course, his former chief of staff, Peter Credlin. Be mm-hmm. good news for her having her old boss sitting pretty up there. <laughs> Sure, sure. Yeah, I think she. I think her job was pretty safe. I mean, you you read what she she wrote. You read what she wrote recently about Dan Andrews, who we'll, we'll get to in a minute. Uh, I don't think she's in any danger of falling foul of the of the uh, editorial line. I mean, she's <laughs> probably <laughs> mad she wasn't put on the board herself. <laughs> there's still time. There's still time. There's still time for that, and there's also still time for. I think again, when when Rupert d- does pass away, I think there will potentially be the fight that that might be when the fight actually happens. Mm. But. Um, so, uh, obviously, as we were saying, News Corp um, couldn't be more kind of frothy with its uh, reporting of the um, resignation of Rupert Murdoch and, and clearly they um, they follow the same pattern when powerful, you know, political <laughs> figures <laughs> resign. Um, similar love for Dan- Daniel Andrews in Victoria, obviously. 
similar passion. <laughs> <laughs> it was a compl- it was the com- couldn't could not it was really interesting actually seeing them the headlines both in the same week because you could not get a more polarized response really from the same from the same, same people outlets, where we yeah. know that they have the ability to um, to really um, rise to the occasion and, and <laughs> celebrate someone's uh, strength and career when they want to, uh, but they certainly didn't want to with Andrews. No, no. And, I mean, one of my first thoughts when I heard Daniel Andrews was stepping down um, – about 20... I like that, stepping down, <laughs> um, pun intended. Well, uh, yeah. uh, yes, no, <laughs> oh, yeah. we'll, no, there's we'll been get, a we'll lot of great step gate. puns. But um, uh, at about, um, you know, one thirty was the press conference, but at about one twenty the news started mm. sort of leaking out mm. on Twitter and my first thought was actually for the Herald Sun <laughs> <laughs> and what is it going to do? How are they going to cope? Well, um, I, mean, yeah. I mean, this in some ways... So there's, you know, I think there's, there's there's a parallel. And before, you know, I don't want the phones to light up or anything when I make this comparison. I'm not making a direct comparison, but I think there is an analogy between how uh, more progressive media felt about Donald Trump and how uh, News Corp in, in Victoria felt about Dan Andrews. There was a bafflement that they couldn't lay a glove on him, that his mm. his audience did not give a shit what they thought and they weren't used to feeling that way. I think that's part of what churned that into the kind of, like fury that we kind of saw and and the and the genuine going from being what was I mean the, the Herald Sun in particular was a always uh, right shifted relatively partisan um, tabloid I don't think anyone would would uh, say that's not true but over the last couple of years of, of Andrew's reign it it the rivets popped off and it really did just disconnect from reality entirely it started putting incredibly elusive um, conspiracy theories about how he ended up uh, injuring his back that one time, uh, without anything to report. So these, they, they, they were like, they were like fever dreams. There was no, there was no, tr- there was no core to anything. It was just these billowing ideas of kind of, um, of, of yeah, of, of nefarious wrongdoing that they couldn't name. Oh yeah, and I mean, I mean, uh, Anthony Albanese himself said it was a low point in Australian journalism. Was that front page of? A picture of just the steps at the (laughs) Holiday House in Surrey. That was when they were desperately trying to to, um, knock him off his perch ahead of the last election. They were trying to get a hit. Conspiratorial Mm, and deranged mm, because you could only understand the insinuations of the steps that took down the Premier and, like, look at how small these steps are. Could he really have heard And he and his office have never confirmed the exact details of what happened. That only works if you're moving in the same circles as the far right people who started that in the first place. But any of us who have had a back injury know, yes, yes, that could absolutely have. Happened. Most people are like, yeah, if you fell down yeah, those stairs backwards, yeah, sure. But, Rachel, but, in your column um, this week, you look at um, the Herald Sun's political editor, James Campbell's response, um, who, you know, began by blasting the Daniel Andrews' ruthless reign. Oh, I mean, I was going through these columns and think pieces that morning um, and his was quite bad. This is James Campbell, the political editor, Famously married to failed Aston candidate uh, Rashina Campbell, mm. who uh, unexpectedly lost that seat for the Liberals this year, um, and to Mary Doyle, to Is Mary Doyle, yeah. yeah. Um, and Campbell sort of ended on this note. You know, he went through everything he believed Daniel Andrews had done wrong in his in his regime. They loved the word regime. Um, <laughs> and at the end, he said, "And what did the public think of this? They." liked it (laughs) and now he's gone thank goodness (laughs) and it was like wow you're not even going to put like some kind of qualifier in between these sentences where you go wow he's he actually was returned with an increased majority and thank god he's gone Uh, it was such contempt for the voters yeah i mean and that was the thing i think is that and again i think probably we should always point out we're not we're not here to throw a party for dan andrews like you know there's a it's a complicated reign it was a very difficult time for the state there are some things he did very well, some things that were very horrific. But, but there's plenty of time to get all but that. That's but that's what's annoying about there's it. A lot, that's, there's that's, a lot of real stuff there. Yeah. But that's what's annoying about it. There, the, the, there should have been more accountability for some of the decisions uh, that he made and the choices that were made by his government. And he was notoriously, um, he, he, you know, the buck stopped with him and he, he did make a lot of 
decisions his office fairly independently or with a very close-knit team and they deserve scrutiny and a lot of those decisions deserve scrutiny. Yeah. But the, the things that I think deserve scrutiny are probably not the things that the Herald Sun think deserve scrutiny. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. And know, the increase of the, you know, the, the massively increased funding to police. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, growth of prisons, for example. Privatisation, the yep. destruction of the Jurab Burong trees, uh, the red shirts, you know, like remember red shirts? That could have, that should have, if there was a functioning media and a functioning opposition in the state, Dan and Andrews would not have had the career that he had. Well, I mean, whatever his, again. It was uh, just populism. There was a, a lot and of. And they fed it. Yeah. Inadvertently. Yeah. Well, I mean, by being so ridiculous, it just, it began to seem like all media criticism of Daniel Andrews was just was over the top nonsense, hysteria. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it, it kind of all just turned into to white noise and he was very good at going around the media mm. and communicating mm-hmm. directly with voters. Um, and he really, I, he really showed how impotent um, News Corp is in Victoria when they are, like, screaming a message at voters. It's, you know... Politicians can get around that now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the interesting thing will be now that they have, uh, just Allen has assumed the office, like will this be, a, will they return to being a partisan but slightly in touch with reality campaigning <laughs> paper that could actually have some influence on their audience or or, or or is the cat out of the bag now? Can this never go back to the way that it was? I mean, you, you still, you've still got... Andrew Bolt writing a column, you know, Mm. like the Herald Sun I think is beyond it. Like it was already a newspaper that was pretty much a sports paper and a Daniel Andrews front page. Um, You know, people have been compiling all the most ridiculous front pages. But, like, that was kind of the two Some things Some of them were even did. this week, you know. They yeah. were hysterical. And, and I, you know, I just don't think that Jacinta Allen is going to attract the same kind of rage, like, um, online or, or in print. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's kind of going to, you know, potentially really change the Herald Sun. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they no longer publish circulation numbers, but... If, if I don't think, already. I don't think they'll be able to let him go. I think they are now going to want to chase make him, him chase him down profits, and make yeah. him pay. You know, I feel like I just don't understand how they're just going to suddenly go. Oh well, there he goes. Well, we have already seen them sort of stoking conspiracies about why he's going now, mm. and I mm. thought possibly the most outrageous comment of the last few days was. Um, Peter Credlin uh, on Sky News, because Sky News, of course, is a big part of this as well. Um, but in her monologue, she said her only regret that was was that he wasn't taken away in handcuffs. Mm. Oh, and God. it's just, you know, that, that's real... Trumpian, the word Trumpian yeah. is so overused now. But, but, but it, like, it still it's, has its uses and that would be one but, of them. I mean, I think the thing, the broader problem is that, you know, um, distrust for news publishers is increasing in this country. The, there was another, um, uh, another some more data on that earlier this year and it, it wasn't just a COVID blip, this kind of mistrust of news organisations. It's, it, it's continuing and surely this contributes to that because, you know, you can't, you can't be so one-eyed and so determined to take someone down who is clearly very popular without people starting to, you know, without that rubbing off on people's general distrust of of, of, med- of news media. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we sort of keep going back to it, but the, the last election in particular does, does attest to that, does give you the sense that, that they, they threw everything at him there wasn't there were there was there was stairgate obviously which was uh bad enough but then there was also the rehashing of a of a nearly 10 year old story about a car accident mm. that his wife Catherine had had mm, uh, where, right. where they oh where there was no new reporting mm. it was just to remind everyone that it had happened and again to give the vague implication that there was some kind of nefarious behind the scenes maneuvering that stopped justice being served and it and and, and again we we keep saying it it didn't have a single impact. They did better this past election than they did the one pre-COVID. You, and, have, to, you have to look at the opposition for that as well. Oh, but, God, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, and also the other thing that just, just quickly is worth noting is that what there is the Herald Sun, obviously, but I look back at the uh, like endorsements that the major papers gave for the state election. He only got one and it was very reluctant. The mm-hmm. age through gritted teeth went, 
you're going to have to go for this guy again. There's nothing else. Only because the, the other guys yeah, are yeah. so terrible. But, but the Herald Sun and, and the AFR both were able to overlook the, <sighs> like, relentless calamity machine that is the Victorian Liberal Party and go, these guys are ready for government, you guys. Like, and, and that's the thing that is always worth remembering is that if we think that, you know, COVID was rough in, in Victoria under Andrews, can you imagine a Tim Smith oh. or Matthew Guy or um, Michael O'Brien? I always forget the name of the guy that was actually in charge during that period. Can you imagine a government mm. led by those guys and, th- and that response? It doesn't... I mean, it really, really... It calls into question the power of, of the media in general, but especially there is endorsements. Mm. Like if every single paper in the state except one, you know, and and the major ones endorsed the party that didn't win. Like, what, and then what he the won a bigger majority of yeah. endorsements. Like, yeah, why do yeah, we yeah. still do those? It, it all, it, it, yeah, it's all, it's all very questionable, isn't it? It's the same with like the the major papers selling ads to Clive Palmer during, mm. you know, like vaccine hesitancy or anti-lockdown ads to Clive Palmer during during the height of COVID. Didn't really make his movement any more popular than it was. Didn't certainly didn't help his party get anyone elected yeah, apart from no. Ralph Babbitt. Um, so there is that thing of being like, if you can buy the front page and it does you no good, really. Yeah, no, it's a very big question and a worrying one for two working journalists to... <laughs> well, you know, that um, that same... Uh, I wish I'd, I'd um, brought it up. I was using it for a different for a project the other day. I was doing some research. But the same um, study into Trust of the News recently um, said that uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, more of them get their news headlines mm. from social influencers than <laughs> news organisations at the moment. So both of you, to TikTok, you go. Independent Melbourne Radio 3RRR. Some really weird images of celebrities have been circulating uh, online on social media over the last couple of days that have been truly baffling in relation to the Australian Financial Review's 2023 power issue and there was one in particular where um oh god my brain footballer sam sam Kerr. yes is holding a trophy and she, it looks like she has about four hands <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a it's a david cronenbergian nightmare <laughs> Um, and it, it was just, it seemed just truly bizarre that they had these, um, well, they were obviously AI images of celebrities accompanying yeah, yeah. their power issue. And then a very the, separate article came up that says what we learnt when making AI images for the 23, pa- 23 power issue, but it doesn't ever explain why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think one thing that we should, we should make clear is that they are not trying to fob these off as genuine, no. slightly oddball portraits of, of figures like Pat Cummins and Margot Robbie and... Um, uh, Sam Kerr, they they do make it very clear that this is a, these are AI generated images. They've taken a photo of Scott Morrison at his desk in well his then desk when he was prime minister, and um, put Margot Robbie in it, which is just creepy. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I loved about this um, this explainer that mm. didn't really explain <laughs> why on earth they had done this was at the end they said. Um, how quickly can you spot that they're fakes? And it's like... We just looked at it there, the look <laughs> of the hands. Just, you just look straight at the hands. Immediately. Like, yeah. they look them up if you can. They're, they're quite ludicrous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. I, mean, I think that, that, that it does sort of smack of, um, of perhaps a, an idea searching for justification. I think there's a sense that it's like the people... The editorial team might well have been like, this is quite a zygasty chat that we're having at the moment about the power of artificial intelligence and chat GPT and, and Dali and all these things. Um, could we make something out of that? And people have gone, yeah, well, let's go do that. And then they've, they seem to have retrofitted this as like a kind of explanation because, as, I, as you say, it's very hard to actually divine exactly what they're saying about why they have done this, except, except that it's a big deal at the moment and that maybe it will make people think, make business leaders think more about in AI and well, the implications it can they have. They seem to have taken the celebrities and tried to sort of... Trans p- create a more sort of power-looking image. So as I yeah. said, Margot Robbie. In, but I don't know. Sam Kerr is holding up a trophy, and it's like, well, that's fairly standard. Yeah, yeah. this I is mean, just a very strange picture of <laughs> Sam Kerr, like Uncanny yeah. Valley kind of. It's it's Sam Kerr yeah, dressed like a wearing, footballer, wearing what appears to be like the U.S. women's football team jersey, not the Australian oh, one. Oh yeah. Um, it's it's yeah exactly, and and it's it's like yeah it's it's her doing sport well, but. 
that's what she does every day of her life. Yeah. And there's lots of photos of there's lots of real photos of it happening where she doesn't have 18 fingers on one hand. Um, yeah, and it's it's the same thing like of of someone like uh, yeah uh, Margot Robbie. She looks perfectly powerful in her day to day life. I know. As as a very famous person, I um, don't think she's got political aspirations. No, and why <laughs> would that matter anyway? It's it's all it's it's very very odd. I think, you know, it's probably just, you know, how are we going to PR this list? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, we're, talk- we're talking about it. <laughs> well, we are <laughs> in a glowing way. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, our guest tonight, Nick McKenzie, number seven on the list yeah, of the most culturally uh, powerful people in Australia. He didn't get an AI fake, though. Well, that's, no. Some no. of them were real photos. I'm wondering if maybe they just couldn't get... Um, those people to agree to photos the people they made deep fakes of. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they couldn't get licensed to a photo because, because it's there's only it's only Margot Robbie, Sam Kerr and, and Pat, Pat Cummins, Cummins, I think. Yeah. Whose hands are and, hilarious. And they're just yeah. placed alongside He's completely normal <laughs> pictures. Like you've got Tony Armstrong next to Joe Brum next to Pat Cummins. Yeah. And Pat Cummins is the only one who's AI generated. That's the other thing that makes it so incredibly jarring is that it doesn't even work with the, the theme. If everyone was AI generated and you sort of were buying into that reality of the of the kind of design of the piece, that would be one thing. But there's just normal photo, normal photo. Pat Cummins looking like an Avenger coming to take your soul away. Uh, and then another normal picture. Like. So, yeah, if you need a laugh, go and Google um, Australian Financial Review, the 10 most culturally powerful people in Australia, 2023. Yeah. Uh, once again, the Australian Financial Review has left us flammoxed. Thank you for tuning in to Spin Cycle this week. Many thanks to Nick McKenzie for chatting to us about his investigative uh, reporting in the series in the age uh, about Michael uh, Mike <laughs> Pizzullo. That's I it. <laughs> am losing my mind. It's time to go. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.